Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm glad this did work out. When Mike was texting me on a Saturday evening saying, hey, power's out, not sure what we should do. Um, I was disappointed not to be able to come, but the next morning it was kind of like a snow day for me. So uh, it wasn't all bad. Just got to go to church with my family and uh, hang out on a Sunday. So that was nice. Um, But I'm glad that it worked out this time uh, to be with you. Uh, Thanks for that time of worship as well. Uh, This morning, I want to give us just a, a lot of you know some of the things that I'm going to share this morning already. Uh, If you've been a part of this church for a little while, uh, or even if you're just recently attending here, um, this church is a part of a family of believers, and I do want to give you a perspective about a broader set of what God's doing in the world, Uh, but then also call us to what does it mean to respond to that, and why should we even care? And maybe some distinctives about our family of churches called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Uh, My name is Tim Meyer, like uh, Pastor Mike said, and I've been serving in this role as Vice President for Development for the last five years. Previous to that, I led one of our ministries called Envision, and I know that this church has been a partner with Envision Cleveland since the very beginning. In fact, I was with Paul Honeycutt yesterday, and I said, hey, I'm headed to Millersburg, and he said, I love Millersburg for two reasons, antique malls and uh, Faith Bible Church. So I said, (laughs) he goes, they've been an awesome partner with us from the beginning, so greetings from Paul. Uh, so I led that uh, nationally, and as we expanded, you know, to overseas. Previous to that, Rachel and I and our boys served in France. So Mike found that uh, pullout in a closet, if you see on the table on your way out, and I was significantly younger and thinner in that photo, but uh, it is what it is. And our boys were little in that photo. Uh, our boys are now 16 and 12, almost 13, and uh we, we served in France for five years doing church planting work, and before that, we're doing youth and worship ministry. So it's sort of been five, 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 five so far. Rachel and I have been married 21 years this summer, and uh, that's the journey that we've been on. But as you know, uh, two years ago, many of us started moving from Colorado as we relocated our office to Columbus, Ohio. And I grew up in Ohio. I'm one of the only guys in this whole team out of 120 people that actually grew up in Ohio. So when we announced that we were going to move, and I was a part of the conversations, we had narrowed it to Indianapolis, Cleveland, and Columbus. And I grew up more towards Cleveland, but I was rooting for Columbus because I grew up towards Cleveland, honestly. Uh, and um, the, only, the only benefit would have been the sports teams, I think, for me, although maybe it's God's grace that I don't have to suffer through that either. So we're in Columbus, we're in Pickerington on the east side in our office. We're breaking ground on June 16th in Reynoldsburg, and you're invited. If you want to come to our groundbreaking, I'm not sure if anybody made it down to our demolition day when we took down that old Kmart that we purchased, but now we have uh, purchased 14 acres, including a bonus McDonald's that's paying us to be there, and so uh, the... Just that least income from the McDonald's equates to one worker overseas a year. So, hey, you know, we'll take it in any way we can to mobilize uh, kingdom resources. Uh, but it'll be about an 18-month build, and we're excited to have you. It's about an hour and 45-minute drive from right here to, to the, you know, with no traffic, uh, to, to the new campus. It's going to be called One Alliance Place, and it's going to be a multi-use campus uh, that some of you, you know, have maybe seen our, our President John Stumbo's video blogs or something like that to explain some of that, but uh, for another time, 
we'll unpack all of that, and you can ask me about it at lunch. We'll stick around, and you can ask me any questions about that and what we're going to do with that property. But that's not going to be the majority of what we're going to spend our time doing this morning. Our vision statement that we rolled out was a new take on an old phrase uh, in the Alliance. We rolled that out almost four years ago. Have you seen this phrase before, all of Jesus for all the world? It makes me happy that I'm seeing shaking heads nodding heads, um, because we rolled this out at our, our council four years ago. When I took this role, I said, you know, we need a phrase that's a little sticky that people can remember to remind us, what are we doing? Why are we doing this together as a family of churches? We are in an age when denominations aren't necessarily on the rise, and I'm not, even though I work as a vice president of a denomination, I'm not, you know, Jesus isn't all just about competition in the kingdom. It's not like the, you know, Baptists get in first, then the Nazarenes, then the Presbyterians, then the Alliance, you know, whatever. Uh, we're all a part, as long as we're claiming that Jesus Christ is Lord, uh, we're all on the same team. And if we're holding true to the, the foundational truths, it expresses itself in different ways. But every movement and every church, like this church, has to wrestle through, so what are, why are we here? You know, there are other churches uh, that I passed on the way here this morning. Uh, There are other churches in this region. There are other churches in this county. Why are we here? And that is something that we all have to wrestle with. As an alliance, from the very beginning, we have been fixated on a deep life with Christ and that that links immediately to an others-focused, especially a heart for people around the world who have not heard the gospel of Jesus. And our founder, A.B. Simpson, that was his story from the beginning. Jesus healed him physically, and he said, there's got to be more than just punching a ticket to heaven here. We've got to have a full life that is surrendered to Christ and is powered up by him, but that immediately leads us to caring. So for him in New York City, it was caring for immigrants, uh, Irish immigrants and Italian immigrants coming that his church did not want to come to their church. And so he left the church and started reaching those folks, dozens of people coming to faith. But then it led immediately to India and West Africa and all those kind of places. And so that deeper life and missions focus, uh, when I talked to a lot of people around the country, uh, we summed it up in this phrase, all of Jesus for all the world. So when I go places, sometimes if I'm doing just a message, all of Jesus for all the world, people go, so is it possible to get part of Jesus? Well, yes and no. I mean, we know that if you receive Christ, you get everything that he offers to you, full forgiveness, full promise of heaven. But it is possible to take first steps towards Christ and even to be saved, to have a, a, a saving experience, and not go towards full surrender. Uh, and uh, it's possible to kind of just show up to church and not surrender your life. And so uh, one of our focuses is that all of Jesus, and that leads, again, to for all the world. I was with the leaders of the Vineyard USA movement two weeks ago, and the Vineyard story, you know, is about 50 years old. And, you know, that movie, uh, Jesus Revolution, that just came out is in some ways their story. We were talking, and a lot of our language is similar. A lot of our heartbeat for the fullness of Christ is similar. But it was clear in our conversation that they just don't naturally go towards mission. And uh, it's not that they're bad. It, they have service projects. They have these other things. Uh, but for us, it's, that's our DNA piece from the very beginning. And... This church, because you belong to that family of churches in the Alliance, that's who you are as well. And I know that that's who you've been uh, for a number of years, uh, but I want to remind you this morning what family you're a part of and what you're invited to continue to participate in. So this is, that, uh, this is our 2022 stats. 
Um, so, you know, as of last year, you know, 330, about 330,000 people worshiping in almost 2,000 churches in 38 languages just in this country, which makes us unique and positioned for the future. In kind of an unintentional way, I mean, it was intentional that we sent missionaries, but a lot of these folks represent groups that were reached by the gospel of Christ coming to them for the first time. So we have many Hmong churches in America, uh, churches of two to 3,000 people in the Twin Cities and Wisconsin and others. It was Alliance missionaries that took the gospel to uh, the Hmong people for the first time. And so uh, a lot of these groups have risen up. New York Times just released an article I don't know if anyone saw it a couple of weeks ago that said the demise of Christianity in America might have been over-exaggerated. Did anybody see that? And basically, it was a secular article, but the author was essentially saying the future of Christianity might flourish not in places where we've seen it before, but in a lot of places from the global south, from Africans and from others who, you know, from Latin America who, who are coming to America uh, and bringing with them vibrant faith. And that faith is growing, and those churches are being planted. So not a story I don't think that we would have predicted, but the Alliance, that's part of our story. And so over 50% uh, of, our, of those 330,000 worshipers um, are represented from some of those minority and, and uh, ethnic groups. Let's see if I can get this to... So this is the global snapshot. Over 700 workers, 150 people groups, more than 140 cities. Again, that's been our story since the beginning. And we have an Alliance World Fellowship, and I know that I'm preaching to the choir for some of you who understand all this or you've seen all this, uh, but just as a reminder, this morning there are 23,000 churches worshiping uh, in 81 countries, and 140 years ago, you know, it started with six people around a fire in New York City. Frankly, you know, and Simpson said, we were weak and few, and it was good. Because we thrust ourselves on the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is the story that has arisen. So 60 national church networks that are worshiping together. But here's why we keep doing what we're doing. Not everybody in this world has equal access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not everybody knows a Christian, has even heard the name of Jesus, has heard a radio program or anything. More than 4,000 people groups remain who have little or no opportunity to know him, and uh, that is the no access that we would say. So I left my house this morning in Pickerington, and I took a beautiful drive. Uh, it was perfect. It was sunny earlier, as was said. And, uh, you know, this time of year, driving through, you know, rolling hills with the green popping and the flowers everywhere, and I'm passing alpaca and, you know, a pony running around all stuff. It's like, and I... Whenever I'm out in beautiful nature, I don't know if, I, if there are any Rich Mullins fans in the room, but um, Rich is like the soundtrack for nature for me. So I listen to Rich Mullins all the way up here. And, uh, but as I passed, not only was my heart stirred for God and beauty of nature, but man, I passed a lot of churches, a lot. And uh, some of those churches are not thriving. They're not even Bible-centered, some of them, or Jesus-centered. But the truth is, we got a lot of access to the gospel in this country. It doesn't mean that we need to stop doing what we're doing in our churches. It doesn't mean that we don't need to go in deeper. Uh, you know, my kids in, are, are in youth group, and my son is helping lead the book of James tonight, and I'm excited about that, and they're, you know, they're leaning in. We, we have to keep doing what we're doing. But the truth is, I passed 100. I mean, how many churches did I pass? And for the 3.4 billion who remain unreached, they'll never even see a church or meet a Christian unless the gospel is carried to them somehow. 
Now, sometimes that's through a radio broadcast, but usually it's through people. Most of us who are in the room today who are believers um, didn't just wake up at age 11 after a dream and show up to church. Somebody brought you, whether it was your family or your mom or dad or a friend, or somebody helped you encounter Jesus. Most people don't find God without the help of somebody else, and that's why we continue to send workers. And so that's the story that I want to tell, that all of Jesus for all the world story. But in the alliance, we have a uniqueness in that there, there's need everywhere. And, uh, I mean, you, you don't have to look very hard in America or around the world to find need or places to respond to. There are disasters. Or, but in the alliance, we actually prioritize hard places, difficult places. And so this morning I want to talk about why and what it's going to take to continue to, to be faithful to that task. Why do we prioritize the hard places? Our mission's emphasis theme this year uh, has been be present. So you might have seen that somewhere uh, or heard a story from a, a worker or seen a video, but be present has been our theme. We're finishing that out with Great Commission Day. I will just let you know that as of yesterday, um, Generous Alliance people have given $328,000 for a matching gift for anything that comes in specified Great Commission Day uh, this spring, and we're going to lead that into council in May. And so if you're interested in getting in on that, you can give in the same three ways. You can give, you know, you can write a check or you can go online or whatever. Um, you can give me some money and I'll get, I'll get it there. Uh, so um, that's been our theme. And that's been our theme because in order to create presence, we have to be present. In other words, people have to be in a place long enough to gain trust, to have friendships, to have relationships, to have credibility in order to explain the gospel to other people. But the last remaining 3.4 billion are last reached for a reason. They're difficult. If they were easy to reach, they'd be reached. Some of these places are highly resistant. Some of the places we can't even get into uh, as Americans, but there are other nationals uh, from our other churches that can. But they remain difficult for a reason because uh, for whatever reason, for demonic influence or cultural reasons or historical reasons, uh, they remain unreached. And we have got to figure out a way to stay faithful to the mission of God that he's called us to as a family to continue to take the gospel to those hard places. So there are mission groups, and I'm not disparaging them at all because we, there's need everywhere, okay? But there are mission groups who prioritize places that we would determine to be somewhat reached. In other words, they have strong national churches. They can send their own missionaries. They might have economic issues uh, that require aid and, and, and care, and God bless those folks that are doing that. That's not our primary call. So after a certain point, we actually pull our workers out of places. We no longer have missionaries in the Congo because there's a million believers in Alliance churches in the Congo. We don't need American missionaries there anymore or in Peru. or in And those are painful exodus because there are relationships and there's friendship and dependency and, and those kind of things. But we pull out. Why? So that we can redistribute energy and finances because it takes money and people to stay in those places and go to the next hard place. So we're about to... Um, Mobilize a, a team to the Middle East, in a, a team of eight, in a very difficult place in three months. They're, they're leaving young families with young kids. Not going to be easy. Why do we do that? Because there's no other Christians there. We've got to mobilize those folks. So I want to um, 
talk about perspective here first. Uh, I'm going to spend a little time in Numbers, the story of Joshua here, and then we're going to go to Acts 1. I know you've been in the book of Acts, so we're going to jump around a little bit. Um, but uh, Numbers 13 and 14, do you remember the story of the spies that go into the promised land? So the spies are sent out, and they go into the land. And when they go in, they come back but have different assessments of the realities. So 10 of them say things like, and I'll show you in a second, um, the other response, but 10 of them say, yeah, we're going to die. I mean, this is not a good situation. We should not go into this land. Uh, they see people that are bigger than them. They're like, there's giants here. There's, we don't have anything. We're going to die. So they, Moses has taken them out of Egypt where they were slaves. Now they're going to go into the promised land. But when they actually survey the land, they're like too hard, too difficult. But there is a different response. Uh, so this is the first one. You know, we're not able to go up against these people. It's stronger. This is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people that we saw are of great height, which is kind of a funny thing, right? This is just like, you know, all these people are taller than us. It's kind of a funny observation. We seemed like grasshoppers. Basically, this is not going to work out for us. There's no reason that we should be confident going into this land. But then Caleb says, actually, this land is exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Joshua and Caleb see the same reality as others, but their perspective is, if God has called us and the land belongs to him, then this will get done, not because of us, but because of him. In other words, the reason that sometimes we don't go do hard things, join God in mission, whatever, is because we're making way too much of it about us, ourselves. I don't have what it takes. I can't convince these people. I'm not an evangelist. I can't do it. I, I, there's no way I could ever fill in the blank. And that was the spies, the, the, you know, the first tense perspective. With our own resources, we cannot get this done. And they were right. They couldn't get this done. But Joshua and Caleb knew a different reality, which is, yeah, this isn't about us. If the Lord delights in us, if the Lord gives us this land, then we should go in. And so then what What happens? Do you remember what happens after this? What do the people say? Anyone? Participation? What do the people say after they hear this report? Do they agree with Joshua and Caleb? No. In fact, they say things like, we got to get new leaders. This is, uh, this is not good. This happens in churches sometimes. If the pastor's a little too, we got to reach our, our neighbors and it disrupts your comfort a little bit, then it's like, let's just get rid of the pastor. We can go back to being comfortable. And, and this is true uh, in, in missionary activity and all the rest, that when we look at the world, it is natural for us to be discouraged. If you turn on the news, if you get on Facebook, if you whatever, you're going to be discouraged. Um, spend less time on Facebook is a, is a better way to not to be discouraged. Uh, it's just, you're just going to be discouraged at some level. So when we look at the world, it's not great. But what Tim Crouch, our vice president for mission, says is, what in missionary activity, what we do is we put on gospel lenses instead of evening news lenses. The evening news lenses say, this is bad. What are we doing? We're wasting our time. People aren't signing up to be Christians in America. We're losing the battle. How are we going to continue this effort? But when we put on gospel lenses, we go, oh, but God called us, and this is his land. And these are people that he sees and that he loves, and he's called us uh, to go reach the ends of the earth. So we, it's not an optional call. So we go do it. And we're confident. 
Not because of us, because these people who are taking the gospel in the Middle East, these young couples, they don't know Arabic. They don't. When you look at it on paper, this is a losing proposition. We do not have, I mean, we're going to spend a lot of money to send these folks. And we don't know how many people are going to come to faith. What if only 10 people come to faith? It'll be worth it. Because God loves people and he calls us in. So our perspective has to be of opportunity and even anticipation of what God's going to do, not lack and fear and us being stuck in our own, we're never going to be able to do anything. So there, there's a chance that someone in this church goes, we're not a big enough church to make a difference. And that is not true. Maybe nobody ever thinks that. That is absolutely not true. We have, this is, in, in the alliance, we have the beauty of churches from 10 people to 6,000. But the majority of our churches are just like this one. But when we pool our energy, our prayers, and our resources together, this year, Alliance churches are going to give $76 million to missions. So let me give you perspective about that compared to other denominations. In the Alliance, 12 cents on every dollar that's given to a local church is mobilized for missions, whether that's tagged for Great Commission Fund or the church decides, hey, we're going to just do this percentage of our annual budget to missions. The second place evangelical denomination, again, it's not like we're going to get into heaven quicker, okay? I'm just saying this is the, a, a focus, a demonstration of focus. The second place denomination is six cents on the dollar. The third place denomination is three cents on the dollar. And then it goes down from there. It just means Alliance people are generous, and I see evidence that we still have folks who believe that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached, like Matthew 24, 14 says, to all peoples, and then the end will come. And that Jesus' great commission for us and his commandment remains just as relevant today as it ever has been. So here's an interesting observation in this story. Hopefully it's interesting, because I thought of this a little bit ago. <laughs> Maybe it's not interesting to you. Joshua and Caleb go into the land, and they come back. The people want to get rid of them. Then the people say, let's kill them. So they first want to replace the leaders. Then they say, let's kill, the, let's kill these guys. Let's just get rid of them. We'll, we'll go back to Egypt. It's better to be slaves. Because they haven't yet got the God perspective thing down. So now time has passed, and now Moses has died. And there's a huge transition in leadership. Now Joshua is going to lead the people. And now they're about to enter the promised land. Moses is not allowed to go in. We don't have time to unpack why. But it's a hard situation. Moses is the deliverer guy, and now he's not going to go in, but Joshua's going to lead him into the land. So Joshua has this encounter with God, and God says to Joshua three times in Joshua chapter one, be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't, be, don't veer to the right or left. Remember the law. Remember, I will be with you. So is it interesting to anybody that the guy who's already more strong and courageous than everybody else in the whole group has to be reminded three times from God, be strong and courageous. Why? Because it's one thing to decide to go into the promised land or send the spies in. It's another thing to do it. So it's one thing to say, like, I want to care about missions or I'm going to care. It's another thing to go or to give your actual money or to send your kids. You know, I thought it was hard for us when we left America and sold all our stuff it's going to be way hard. My oldest is talking about wanting to go to Japan as a missionary. Let me tell you, that's a lot harder for me to stomach in my mind than me going personally. I'll go do it. Let my kid go halfway around the world for what? For the, for the second largest unreached people group in the world, Japan. So if God stirs in his heart, 
then I got to be strong and courageous. Because here's the truth. When we enter in to this partnership with God and we do these things with him, there is a certain presence of his spirit and empowerment that comes from him. And we need more resourcing in those moments than we did previously. Whatever has gotten us to the previous point, when we start taking faith-filled risks with him, we need more filling. More surrender on our part, but more from him. And that's what God is saying. Look, be strong and courageous. I got you. I'm going with you. I won't let you go. But Joshua's going to lose people. They're gonna, people are going to start dying because of his decisions. Because they're going to go into battles. And so God had to remind him, I know that you've got a certain level of courage, but now be strong and courageous. It's time to go in. Going in, deciding is one thing, but going in is the hard part, but it's the necessary part. Part of the question for us always as believers is, Jesus, what do you call, what's the next step that you're calling me into that would require faith, but I know I can get empowerment for you, and this morning I want to apply that specifically to reach in the world. Acts 1.8. So John uh, Stumbo, our, our president, brought in 10 years ago this phrase, or eight years ago or something, uh, that defines us as a, an identity statement, that we are a Christ-centered Acts 1.8 family. Most people don't know, a lot of people don't know, not most people, a lot of people don't know what Acts 1.8 even is, unless they're, you know, reminded recently or whatever. So we've got to unpack this verse for a lot of people. Uh, you're going through the book of Acts, and I'm guessing a lot of you do know what Acts 1.8 is in this church. Uh, but just as a reminder, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.5, through 1.8 is really the, the strategy, the blueprint for missionary activity that has sustained us since Jesus said these things 2,000 years ago. Acts 1.4, do you remember he says, stay in Jerusalem, wait until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes on you. The disciples interpret his command to wait, to pray. And we know that because in Acts 2, what are they doing when the Spirit comes on them? They're praying. So they're, they're just waiting. They ask him right after he says, wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes on you in 1.4. In 1.5, they say, hey, so when are you going to fulfill the promise basically of political control and power. You know, when are we going to, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel like the Davidic kingdom? We're going to kick out the Romans. Jesus doesn't answer their question. He just says, just wait here. You'll receive. Uh, you don't get it, basically. Um, you're still trying to grasp at the wrong thing after all these years together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So here's the blueprint. Wait encounter Christ deeply, be filled up with the Spirit, then you'll be my witnesses. And it's two sides of the same coin. That word witnesses here is the Greek word martyros, which we get the English word martyr from. You'll be my, now he's talking to disciples who for the most part all become martyrs, actual, they die. But in some ways the, the concept of martyrdom is about evidence. Uh, somebody is willing to die for something that they so are so believe in and are so convinced that they're willing to actually go all the way to the end and have their life taken. Now, some people are misguided in their martyrdom. But for these guys and for us, what does it mean? Maybe we're not going to lose our lives physically, but what does it mean to be evidence that Jesus is good and is in the world? So the two sides of the coin are deeper life and missions, right? And that's where we sort of have built out our missionary strategy. We have to be people who are filled up with the Holy Spirit, and then we're radically going 
And this is all about partnership. This church here in Millersburg today cannot successfully take the gospel by itself to those 3.4 billion people around the world. That's imp- it's not going to happen. You know, we have challenges in our own towns, let alone taking the gospel to, you know, all, all these places around the world. However, what Jesus bakes into this Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, and it's not or statements, they're and statements, Jerusalem and Judea, and so how are you supposed to be obedient to all those ands in networks and partnerships of churches? That's why I still believe denominations are valuable and accountability and doctrinal purity and all that kind of stuff. But I do think that our networks of churches are valuable for this because very practically, we're not going to be able to do this. American churches are foolish enough to think sometimes I'll just extend my brand and I'll just, without any training or expertise, I'll just go try to plant something somewhere. It never works. But with trained workers and in humility, we can see this get done. So we're only willing to sacrifice for that mission if we are first captured by the heart of Christ and we're filled up by the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we're going to be able to do this. It's not, mission without filling of the Spirit is not sustainable because it's just good-hearted activity. So when it gets dark and difficult and resistant, we just give up. But if we're filled up with the Spirit, we have enough to keep going. I want to tell you Rima's story uh, this morning as an evidence, and we're moving towards the end here, uh, as an evidence of what we're talking about and how these dots are connected. So Rima uh, was a Assyrian woman who was raised in the city of Damascus. You might have heard of that in the book of Acts. She was raised in Damascus, a uh, Muslim woman, uh, who did not have any access to the, to the gospel until she met some Christian friends in her early adulthood who brought her to a church for the first time, and she heard the gospel. And if you're a loyal Alliance Life reader, uh, a year or two ago we wrote this story, but this is a, it's not an old story. Um, so if you have heard the story before, it's okay. If you love a movie, you watch it twice. So here's a st- repeat story. Um, so she comes to church, but she is so, it's all new to her. She's learning about Jesus for the first time. She's learning about the scripture for the first time. And because of the war, like so many others, millions of others, she's displaced and has to leave Syria. So she finds herself uh, in Egypt. And she gets to Egypt with her family, and uh, there she meets some more Christians who invite her to a Bible study. And so she's starting to have some building blocks of her faith, and she's starting to hear. uh, But then again, her, she and her family, little kids, get displaced, end up in another North Africa. Are we streaming this? Does this get streamed online? It does? Okay. So I'm going to, all right, thanks. Sorry, I should have asked that beforehand. Um, I'm going to do code for the rest of it then. Um, because people are monitoring live streams for stuff like this, and we don't want to put any workers at risk. Um, so this Syrian woman now ends up in another North African country where she meets one of our workers who's working with uh, Marketplace Ministries, running a cafe and doing those kind of things. Uh, and she's running English classes, and, and she meets Rima, and she starts hanging out with her. And Rima is full of, as you can imagine, trauma and anxiety and fear and all those kind of things. But she's showing openness. And our worker could tell somebody has introduced Rima to the gospel at some level. And so they start having gospel-centered conversations. And one time our worker said, can I pray for you? what would you like me to pray for you? And Rima said, just pray that I can sleep through the night because I cannot sleep. 
this anxiety. I wake up with terrible dreams. I mean, she saw people murdered and all these kind of things in Syria. So, uh, she, so our worker said, okay, I'll pray for you. So one night, our worker had a dream. About a week later, uh, our worker had a dream that she was going down underground in this prison, and there were all these women locked up in these individual cells, uh, Syrian women, and she was going cell by cell with the keys, unlocking these cells, and these women were coming out and getting free. As she left the prison, she saw a wanted poster of her face. Uh, the, and so she thought, wow, maybe I'm doing something, making you know, the enemy mad, and that's good, I guess. Uh, so she woke up, and she just thought, okay, this is a reminder from God that even though I wasn't sent here to work with any Syrians, but I need to stay in relationship with this woman. Maybe there's something here. I got, I, you know, God is just reminding her. So Rima comes to cooking class the next week. She says, thank you for praying for me. After I had this dream the other night, I finally was able to sleep through the night, and I've been able to sleep for the last week. She said, I had this dream where I was in this prison cell, and somebody came and unlocked the cell so that I could leave in freedom. She said, and I feel like it was you that was unlocking me. When they talked about it, they had the same dream the same night at the same time. Strange. And she said, was that, un-? and our worker said, actually, I'm not the one that has the keys, but I can tell you all about the one who does have the keys, who could set you free for good. And so Rima decided to really put her faith and follow Christ in that moment. After that, she and her family got refugee status in Canada. And they went to Canada, uh, and as they were preparing, uh, it was a, a church, a local church that was sponsoring this family as refugee status. It happens a lot. Uh, to, to resettle them in Canada. So Rima writes to our worker and says, hey, this church is sponsoring us. We're thrilled. We're going to go. But I just need to ask you about the church so we don't join some cult or whatever. Um, have you ever heard of the Christian and Missionary Alliance? And our worker said, yeah, actually, you know, that's my home church. And she has to be very careful about, you know, tying things very publicly in that country. Uh, she said, and so Rima said to her, do all Christian Missionary Alliance churches have this, like, strange logo with the cross and the crown and the picture and all that? She said, yeah, that's our logo. You know, not every church uses it anymore, but that's our denominational logo. She said, man, that's so strange because that was the logo on the outside of the building in Damascus where I first went to church. That was the first people that brought me to church, and that was the logo on the stationery in Egypt where I heard the Bible, and now I know you carry the logo in some ways, uh, and, and this church does too. Now, friends, as a side note, no one ever told each other that Rima was coming. They just stayed present. They showed up. So I'm going to apply this in just a second. But uh, then Rima says, hey, is the guy who started this like some old guy with a big beard, you know, a while ago? And uh, our worker said, yeah, his name was A.B. Simpson. You know, it was in the 1800s that he started this. She said, well, this, you're going to think I'm strange, but I had a vision of this guy. And I had a vision that he was praying that like arrows of light, the gospel would go all over the world, even to Damascus, like by name, to Syria. And so our, our worker said, well, hey, let's do some research. So our archives team started digging, and we found the prayer of Simpson written down from 1886, word, almost word for word for what Rima described, specifically naming Damascus. Okay, so here's, here's the application for us this morning. First of all, it takes people on the ground in these places to connect dots for other people. 
Rima might have found Christ accidentally, but we don't want to take that chance. And frankly, if we do take the chance, sometimes it's out of a lack of courage or disobedience if we're not sending workers, if we're not advancing the cause of Christ. So it takes people being there. It also started with a prayer in 1886 that God answered. He's still answering those prayers of Simpson and all of our... So never think that a prayer for a missionary or a prayer for an unreached people group is ever wasted. It never is wasted. In God's economy, <coughs> I don't know why he uses us, and I don't know why we pray. Sometimes because it feels like he could just snap his fingers and everything would be done. But part of it is for our own trust and our own discipleship and our own... He wants to partner with human beings. As weak and irresponsible as we are, He's chosen to do this through the church. Paul says this gospel of Christ, the mystery of the gospel in, in, in Ephesians 3, has been made known through the church, through churches just like this one. And so no prayer is wasted. And no dollar given to mission, no kids sent overseas, no, and no network is wasted. In God's economy, I don't know how all this works. I really don't. I don't know how he can see all of it, but he's everywhere. And he is also waiting to manifest his presence where people in obedience are joining him. And so there is a sense that I have personally, but I want to leave with you this morning of some gospel urgency because Jesus is returning and things aren't great around the world. There are wars. There's always been wars. There are calamities. There's always been calamities. We just went through a pandemic. There have been other pandemics. Things will remain difficult until the end. However, Jesus' command to the disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all nations, making disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that did not expire in A.D. 52. We're still carrying that command, and there's urgency. So wherever you find yourself today, whether it's an increased, like I can set aside two more minutes a day to pray for God's work, or financially contribution, or maybe even considering what would, would it mean if my kids or myself or my whoever is sent to be one of these sent ones to carry the gospel, what would that mean for me? And am I willing to see the land that God is giving us through gospel lenses rather than lenses of, this is a bad idea, we're going to die, which are self-centered or uh, lenses that are just worried about our own comfort. Like Mike said this morning, are we willing to lose it all if it means that we gain Christ and his kingdom. And that's my prayer for you this morning. It's been great to be with you. I'm going to invite Junior up to lead us in a time of prayer. God's blessings to you as you continue to follow him with courage.